Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Fachi. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Razor catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in! Duarte for three. Boom, baby! Anthony attacks Hibbert! Denies him at the rim! Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert! Skies high for the jam! Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket! Jackson turns, fires, and has... Bringing that smoke! Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hands! Pacer Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. I'm joined today by the grandson of Dr. Anthony Fauci. Nope. The one and only Michael J. Fauci, the biggest Wizards fan in the world. Fauci, how's it going, man? Wow, this guy is chock full of lies today, but you know what, Alex? I don't know. There was something different in the air today. Look, I know wins are not the popular thing to come by, but I feel like I I felt or I smelt some hope after last night because, whew, Alex, the Pacers may have something special on their hands with Isaiah Jackson. Yeah, 12 of 19 last night for 26 points, a career high, and then he had 10 rebounds. But I think the most important thing with that Came those zero fouls, Fachi, and a big game. Obviously, the Clippers, they are on the tail end of a Western Conference or Eastern Conference road trip, excuse me. And their their substitution pattern last night was very bizarre to me. I was kind of confused by who played and who didn't play in the closing minutes. And, uh, you know, seeing Justice Winslow out there to close the game, <laughs> Justice Winslow looked like Carl Winslow last night from Family Matters. Uh, did not look like the former 10th uh, overall pick in the NBA draft. So, you know, honestly, for me, this is a game where I looked at the talent and I said, okay, look, the Clippers had some guys out. But with that being said, you have to give Isaiah Jackson his flowers, as well as Terry Taylor, as well as Dwayne Washington Jr. These three rookies really stepped up big for the Pacers and a much needed victory to kind of like, just give them some bolt of energy because it's been pretty, pretty pessimistic for the last couple of weeks. It really has. Look, I know the Clippers don't have Kawhi. They didn't have uh, Paul George. They were still a 500 team coming into this game. They didn't have Zubac either, which was a big, big help. I, absolutely. But nonetheless, I had fun watching this game. I really did. It was a close game. And just seeing Isaiah Jackson be able to develop, I mean, I counted. Karis LeVert threw him three lob passes that he finishes. I mean, three of them in yeah. one game. So you talked about the no fouls. That is great improvement right there. The first career start playing substantial minutes, and he absolutely delivers. I thought, in my opinion, Isaiah Jackson looked like the best guy on the court for both teams. 
finishes with a plus nine, which was second best in the game behind only Dwayne Washington Jr., who you mentioned. Alex, he's got a quick trigger. That shot looks great. He looks like a sniper, a marksman, whatever word you want to use to describe him. Dwayne Washington Jr. is a legitimate three-point threat in this league. And to cover the last guy that you mentioned, Terry Taylor, there's a chance that the Pacers found a diamond in the rough here. 15-8, and eight, he does it on 7 of 11 shooting. Rebounding-wise, we know this guy can rebound. But at 6-5, pulling down five offensive rebounds, I mean, there's certain guys that, are, that rebound well, and then there's certain guys that are really good rebounders. And I feel like Terry Taylor is a really good rebounder, that regardless of height, when that guy's on the court, he is a legitimate threat to bring down that rebound each and every time. Uh, and honestly, I'm super excited to see these guys develop because, man, did the Pacers nail these rookies. Not even the draft class, the rookies in general. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Dwayne Washington Jr., I won't lie. I was actually at the game last night, had incredible seats. I was right in mid-center court, 16 rows up from the floor. So um, I just got to say, these tickets were fantastic. And, you know, the game was kind of bland to start out, to be honest with you. I mean, everyone was excited to see Isaiah Jackson, but it was just kind of like no team really had a great feel for the game. And then all of a sudden, that fourth quarter, it's like, you know, Lance Stevenson had a couple nice plays, uh, baskets, and the, the crowd started to warm up. And then when Dwayne Washington Jr. started hitting those threes, it was like just so much electricity came into the field house. And I was like, wow, this is pretty awesome. I mean, people were getting pumped up to see Dwayne Washington Jr. knock down three after three after three. And then, of course, you know, you got Terry Taylor in there, a six foot five power forward, whatever you want to call him. I mean, he's an undersized big is what he is. I know ESPN labels him as a shooting guard, but that is not the position he plays whatsoever. So he was back up center last night at 6'5". He was just out there playing well. I mean, I couldn't believe he had 15 points and eight rebounds, but he was out there playing well. And then when Isaiah Jackson came back in the game, uh, you know, just, just the presence that he had around the rim, I think the most impressive thing too was him hitting that three-point shot at the top of the key in the first half. It's like, Okay, Isaiah, you know, Isaiah Jackson here is about to uh, really impress a lot of people if he can knock down this three consistently and be this of a, this impactful around the rim. Like, just throw it up to the rim, let him go fly and dunk it. I mean, this is something the Pacers have desperately needed for a long time. I know that Miles Turner is a much more elite shot blocker right now in his career than Isaiah Jackson is. But when it comes to pure athleticism, Isaiah Jackson – is head and shoulders above Miles Turner in terms of athleticism. There's no denying that. I mean, Isaiah Jackson is someone who is still just getting started. I mean, a 20-year-old rookie, I mean, at one point, just to show that athleticism, he jumped too early on a block, managed to regain his composure, and then jump again and block Marcus Morris. So he's got – he can just – he can jump, he can finish lobs, he can dunk with authority, he can dunk over you. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that I feel like he's bringing to the table that is really exciting. And then you also got to factor in, he could still put on muscle. I mean, he really can fill out a bit more, and I feel like he could end up being a problem for opposing defenses, you know, anywhere close to the basket. So, and then also, look, let's not disrespect his three-point shot. It's definitely something in development, but the fact that we can see right now that that three-point shot has a capability of getting even better, I'm so excited for that. I mean, Terry Taylor nails a three. Dwayne Washington goes four of seven. Isaiah Jackson uh, from three. Isaiah Jackson goes one of three from three. Like 
these are all rookies that are developing that I just feel like, man, I don't remember a time where the Pacers had this much talented rookies. And we haven't even named Chris Duarte, who might have had an off game, but no one is worried about. Yeah, I mean, he, he might have had an off game, but he had some big moments, too, in that game. Uh, there was a big layup that he had down there on the baseline, and, of course, the block shot that he had. Yep. I believe it was on Eric Bledsoe from behind. So, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, it was a really good game from the rookies, and I, I think we need to give them credit. I think we also need to take into factor that the Clippers aren't the greatest team. So, no. you know, uh, expectations don't need to be super, super high because I still think out of all this group, maybe the only guy that's, you know, long lasting on this roster is Isaiah Jackson. I think, I mean, obviously Chris Duarte is included in that group, but out of the big ones that had huge games last night, that's kind of where I'm at. But with that being said, um, you know, another good game uh, for Karis LeVert, which is good as the trade deadline slowly approaches. I mean, I know I made some jokes on Twitter about him coming into the game and letting the Clippers back into it, which they did cut it to three, but it wasn't really his fault. He had 17 points, nine assists, seven rebounds, a near triple-double for Karis LeVert. Uh, five turnovers, though, so I still think that's a bit of a problem. Just, you know, can be a little bit too much sometimes when he's point guard. But great game for the Pacers, but we've got two incredible guests coming on today, and we're going to take a quick break and bring on our first guest, Eric Pincus. We'll be right back after this. All right, everybody, welcome back. We now are want to welcome Eric Pincus, writer and salary cap strategist at Bleach Report and Sports Business Classroom. Eric, what's going on? Not much, just enjoying life, uh, getting ready for that trade deadline, and uh, happy to be on with you, gentlemen. Aren't we all? That trade deadline is approaching. It is approaching fast, less than 10 days away. Eric, you had an awesome article come out recently from Bleach Report, uh, highlighting some of the guys that could be on the move. Now, look, this is one of the best times of the years for all fans, the trade deadline. Maybe the idea is better than the actual result, but there are there is always movement at the deadline compared to some other sports. Our Indiana Pacers, they're at the heart of many of these rumors. Can you shed some light on perhaps some of the Pacers that are generating trade interest? Well, there was some news, I don't know, maybe two months ago now or a month ago now that the Pacers were looking to potentially get out of uh, – uh, their key players, their core players, like Miles Turner, Karis LeVert, potentially uh, Sabonis, um, and then a lot of buzz that they'd be open to moving some of maybe their their role players, like a Justin Holiday, certainly Jeremy Lamb, if if that fit into a deal that needed to be made. So uh, one thing about the Pacers, they run a little differently, I think, than a lot of teams in that if they're shopping a player, they tend to be pretty upfront with that player that that's happening. You you hear sometimes about a a GM telling a player, no, we're not trading you. And then a week later they get traded. That that's just not how the Pacers run right or wrong. That's just that you, that's how they operate. And so you, you want to respect that they're pretty honest, relatively speaking, you you can't, there's a game of poker, so you can't put all your cards out there. So the players do know that they're available. They do know they're being shopped. Um, Unfortunately, Miles Turner has a foot injury and I think that kind of hurt the market a bit. Uh, I think Sabonis is the kind of player that if the Pacers were willing to move, they would expect the world for. I mean, a, a lot. They would want uh, draft picks, young players, quality contracts in return. Uh, he's probably their prime piece that they could offer. I, I don't like to call players assets, but in, in terms of a trade, that Sabonis is probably their best, quote, trade asset. And then Levert is is a, a nice young scorer. Still, he's not he's not a kid anymore. He's experienced. Uh, he's proven that he can score at, at you know in Brooklyn and Indiana, and so uh, teams are interested. It's just a question of finding a deal. 
I think that Sabonis is more of a flyer. I think teams like the Kings or maybe the Wizards, if they could make a run at Sabonis, I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to get enough uh, to make Indiana happy. Turner is kind of a question because of that, that foot injury. I think Dallas was probably a serious contender. I've heard Charlotte mentioned, and I'm not sure how Charlotte feels now that Turner's got this foot injury. And I think Cleveland is probably the the front runner right now for Levert, but I think they're looking at Eric Gordon and some other players as well. Uh, so I do think the Pacers will get something done. It's just a question of how motivated they are and more importantly, how motivated other teams are to give them something they want. Yeah, you talk about Karis Levert and Cleveland, and we actually had some people on from the Cavs side of things to talk about Levert and they said it's probably the best, you know, known secret in the NBA about Levert and the Cavaliers, you know, being a good partner. But with that being said, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what Cleveland would be willing to give up for Karis Levert because they could go a cheaper route, like you said, maybe like an Eric Gordon, that type of thing where they might not have to give up as much. But let's say the Cavs do pivot off of Karis Levert. Are there any other teams out there that are possible suitors for him? Uh, well, the market's been kind of quiet. I, I think Levert is a difficult one in that, you know, he has $19 million contract roughly for next season. And um, I, I just, I think teams are, are, I don't know if people need, first of all, I don't think teams need that spot quite as much. Uh, but then he also had a health scare, which isn't a good reason, but I do think that teams are very risk adverse. Uh, and so um, you know, maybe they're concerned about uh, making a play for him. I, I, I think he's a really nice, uh, a really valuable player. I, I would argue that having someone like Karis LeVert is a very, very important regular season player because you need somebody who can just get points on the board because not every game is going to be a masterpiece. Some of it is just surviving, you know what I mean? And, and having a guy who can just roll off 18 points or 20-something points if, if he gets hot uh, is really, really valuable regardless of how you fit them into an off-season situation uh, because if you do have bigger stars, Karis taking on that 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 scoring load, kind of like a Lou Williams, kind of like even a bigger version would be Montres Harrell, uh, Jamal Crawford, uh, guys who can just light it up. And maybe in the playoffs, their numbers aren't uh, proven yet because I think Karis, that's the question mark. What, what can you do in a playoff setting? But uh, I think those players really help you get there so that you're you're better players, not not to put Karras down, but your superstars, uh, assuming he gets traded to one of those teams, they don't have to carry that load. They don't, when they sit on a bench and, and the second unit comes in, if Karras is on that, if he's the score on the second unit, he's providing all of that scoring so the team doesn't lose. Like if they've got a 10-point lead, suddenly the bench comes in, now it's an even game. Karras can just keep your scoring going. So I, I'm curious to see which contenders view him that way. Um, the harder part is 19 million next year. You know, you run to that same kind of issue with an Eric Gordon as well. So I, I don't know a, a long list of teams for Karis. When I when I did the list initially of the of the word that Sabonis and Turner and Levert might be available, I, I actually had Turner at the top of the list as far as uh, most likely to be dealt, and then Sabonis was lower just based on a higher asking price, and then Levert was kind of third just because I I do think there's a, a more limited market just specific to what he does. One of the players you mentioned, Miles Turner. Look, the injury is not helping the case. It, am I wrong to feel like the Miles Turner trade market has maybe dried up quicker than like a bounty paper towel commercial? Because <laughs> I am hearing teams backing out left and right, but the Pacers are in a spot now where they have the bigs behind Turner that 
I don't know if it makes him more available or if they just kind of don't like the packages that are out there. But what do you what are your what's your gut feeling on Turner and the trade deadline? Well, I mean, generally speaking, like we've had some trades, but most of the trades are small. We've had, I think, five trades in the last maybe six weeks or five weeks. One got rescinded, Bol Bol to uh, Detroit. Mo- almost all of those deals were money deals, like Mie Oni, Oni to the Thunder, or I guess the the Cavs made a deal to get Rajon Rondo because of injury. So it wasn't fully a money deal, but it, on the Lakers side, it was a money deal. Uh, Reddish to New York was a money deal in part for Atlanta, but it was also a deal for New York that was about the future. And so most trades, though, like none of those trades are, are going to change the balance of, of, of the East or the West. Uh, those kind of trades, by and large, tend to wait because, like, for instance, if the Cavs were offering a first for Levert and that was already on the table, well, then the Pacers were probably in my mind, they would probably shop around and see, well, fine, we have an opportunity to get a first. Uh, is there a team that's going to give us two firsts? Because your baseline is now, okay, well, all we have to do is say yes. I'm not saying that's what it is with the Cavs, but in theory, if that's all it was, simply they have to say yes. Well, can you get more than that? And so if you if you do that on February, the let's say the third, a week ahead of the deadline, you're accepting less than you might get if you wait four or five, six, seven days. So I think teams are, are going to hold out. With Turner, I think there was interest initially with Dallas. Uh, I think you can argue, and, and from what my intel suggests, is that Rick Carlisle knows and trusts certain players in the Dallas system because he coached them and probably values some of those players higher than other teams would. So like a, a Dwight Powell, Dorian Finney-Smith, Jalen Brunson, those kind of players. Uh, and they're all, you know, I mean, like Jalen Brunson is a really nice scoring guard, a, a point guard who can score. Uh, Powell's a really nice veteran and, and you know, just a, a glue guy, not, not like a lead scorer, not a primary guy. Uh, and Finney Smith is a nice 3 and D player. Who, and Finney Smith and, and Brunson are due for big contracts. But I do think that Carlisle probably values guys like that more than others. Uh, and I think if the Pacers can find a way to take advantage of that, not the Pacers, rather the the Mavs, uh, then they should, you know, try to find a way. But apparently the injury and and the Mavs have actually been probably better than maybe even they expected this year. Uh, They did just lose uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. to an injury that I don't know how long it's going to take. He just had surgery. So uh, he's out roughly indefinitely. So uh, I wonder if, if does Karras become more attractive or something like that. But in the case of Turner, uh, I, I know that Charlotte has been looking for a young center that would fit what they're trying to do. And I think they, they can afford to be a little bit more patient than some other teams if he's a little banged up this year. But there's just a general, like Mitch Kupchak's a conservative general manager by and large. And generally conservative GMs don't like to trade for hurt players just because, yeah, maybe they come back fully healthy, maybe they don't. So there would definitely have to be some real intel, some communication, some research that the Pacers would have to facilitate uh, if, if the Hornets are, are really aggressive. And I'd heard Gordon Hayward as a possible piece that could come to Indiana because I've heard Gordon really you know, he wanted to play for Indiana before, uh, just didn't work out, and then he's he played for Butler and all that kind of stuff. Or it could be a smaller trade with someone like P.J. Washington and uh, Mason Plumley, and then maybe some other considerations from Charlotte. You probably have Jeremy Lamb in a deal if it's a Hayward deal. These are the kind of conversations teams have, but 
like if Charlotte is is a little hesitant because of a Turner injury or Dallas, same thing, you just can kind of get stuck in the mud. So we kind of have like that Karis idea of like maybe you're holding out for more or maybe these other teams, because they don't have to make a decision yet, are just sort of waffling. And that waffling will continue until it's you have to make a decision. And that decision is February 10th. Uh, I expect something to happen. I, I mean, the Pacers at this point, I really expect at least a move, maybe two, three. I, I would like to see some activity because I really think it's time for them to mix things up a little bit. Um, this is an opportunity, I think, for them to kind of change things a bit. And, and you know, they've had some young players show that they can play. So let let them play a little bit more and go get go find some more talent. Go find some more uh, you know, draft considerations, prospects things that you could build towards. Uh, this is a team that always wants to make the playoffs. You might be able to get through the, the play-in tournament in a year or be a playoff team if you can get the right pieces back for some of these maybe bigger names, uh, even if they're not uh, you know, the, the superstars of the league. I think someone like Turner and, and Levert are pretty valuable players. I think Sabonis is an all-star, yeah. uh, well, clearly, but some of these guys are, are really solid players. Yeah, and I mean, I, I want to pivot a little bit to some of these role players. I know you brought up Justin Holiday in your latest article for Bleacher Report, and he is the only pacer that is currently not vaccinated. And so I'm curious, you know, obviously there's guys like Torrey Craig who could be had on this team. You mentioned Jeremy Lamb. I'm not sure about TJ McConnell because he's out with that wrist injury, but looking at those four key veteran players that are on this roster, um, you know, who do you think is the most likely to be coveted by other teams? And what do you think the Pacers could realistically get back in a move with those type of players? Well, I, I think like someone like Holiday, I, I wrote on the issue being um, not really picking on Holiday specifically, but uh, teams are when they do their due diligence to see, okay, let's do we want to start pursuing this player in trade? It's just another question that they have to ask. Is a player vaccinated? And, and in the case of Holiday, no. And, and there's some question as to, well, if, if he had a chance to join a contender, uh, would he then get back? Like if, you want, if the Nets wanted him, for instance, where they have the issue in, in New York uh, where they can't play Kyrie Irving for home games, they're not going to want to add another guy they also can't play for home games. You know what I mean? And, and some of the California teams, there's, I think, a little bit stricter regulations that just things, protocols to deal with than there would be, say, in Oklahoma City uh, or in maybe Utah, places where uh, maybe you have a smaller population and, and smaller uh, number of cases of what we're all dealing with. Uh, so I think Holiday has some real value. The, the, the main issue when you look at a Holiday or even a Craig, uh, both really nice, tough, good role players like to play. Um, you know, they, they understand their roles, and that, I think that's really important. Uh, but they're both older. Uh, neither of them are um, in their 20s. They're both uh, above 30, and that kind of reduces their, um, you know, their, their long-term viability in the sense that a team is, isn't likely, in my opinion, any way to give up a first-round pick for a 30-something role player, especially one who isn't vaccinated. So, um, And they both have money next year as well. So that's good or bad because some teams may be thinking about 2023 is when they want to go shopping in, in free agency. And so maybe you could view getting those players as like, okay, I, I don't have any – if you're a team, I don't have any money next year to spend. But by making this trade now, maybe sending somebody who's expiring uh, to the – the Pacers, maybe you can add in a $6 million vet like Holiday, a $5 million vet roughly for, for Craig, and, and you can improve. 
Uh, you know, obviously TJ being hurt is the same kind of discussion with 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 Miles. Lamb, I think, as an expiring, is more of a filler piece. Uh, certainly, a, uh, somebody who could go out if the Pacers needed to add salary to get to someone like Hayward or something like that. Uh, but I do think they're really you know, like a playoff team could want a Craig or a Holiday. I could easily see that. I just think it's more of a including some seconds or maybe uh, a younger player who uh, hasn't quite developed yet that the Pacers are uh, maybe higher on. And I, I, I could give an example. I don't, this is not a, a rumor to suggest there's any negotiation between these two teams, uh, but the jazz just lost uh, Joe Ingles and they have a, a couple of young players in uh, Udoka Azubuki and uh, Jared Butler. And they also have Elijah Hughes. These are guys who haven't really played much this year. Uh, uh, Udoka is a, uh, a second year player and uh, the, it's just the idea of maybe uh, the Pacers look at one of those players and say, wow, we really like those players. We think, you know, the Jazz are trying to win a championship, whatever they're trying to do. Uh, maybe we can pluck away one of these prospects that we really believe in, not to say that they do believe in these particular prospects, but that's the idea of how a trade of, of one of those veterans could work, uh, I think, or even both theoretically for someone like the Jazz for some of these younger players you, you might get in, you might have to get Ingles in trade even though he's hurt but then it becomes more of a money move move first off i i know without seeing it that alex's ears perked up because he sent me a fake jazz trade just a couple days ago so you guys are right on the same page um however look i think i think a lot of pacer fans would be completely happy with two second round picks and like some potentially young rotational player for Justin Holiday. We love Justin Holiday, but we're going in a different direction than him. He's been nothing but a class act over here. And if we could save some money, you know, that'd be great. But I always love to hear from an outsider's perspective, how are the Pacers being viewed as the deadline approaches from everyone outside of Indiana? Is it just like, do you smell the desperation to move on? Is the media overplaying it? Or are you just sitting back saying, this is a team that for so long has been just that, you know, eighth seed, fifth seed, and it's finally time to be sellers. Well, I mean, this this is a team that I think is viewed as as one that has a pretty simple, I guess, directive from ownership. And and not to say that this is true, but it's the perspective of other teams. And, um, you know, I've had my share of conversations with people uh, associated with the Pacers to kind of feel like this is accurate, that, you know, their, their, their job is to put together a playoff team every year. Their goal is to win a championship, but they're not, I guess, permitted to be a, a tanking team like the Thunder, like uh, the Sixers under you know the old days, um, you know, not too long ago. Uh, maybe like the the Magic, where the Magic just traded away last year. They traded away Vucevic. They traded away uh, Fournier. Got some firsts and basically decided, okay, we're gonna take our time and be a little bit slower and more deliberate about our process and their leadership group just got extended, right? Like Weltman and um, Hammond and stuff, their, their executives got extended and that buys them some time uh, to do it the right way, you know, succeed or not. That's the plan. Whereas I think the Pacers, uh, like they, this is a team that has to always feel the competitive team. Now injuries right out the gate this year were a disaster. Like TJ Warren was supposed to come back. It didn't work out. TJ got hurt. Brogdon's been in and out of the lineup. Sabonis was in and out for a bit, uh, all that. Like, and not to mention what everybody dealt with, which was the protocols and things like that. So, uh, but it's just been a down year, and so that's you know I view it 
as an opportunity. Like, okay, the goal is to always make the playoffs. This is not the year. So that's okay. Like go out and play all these young guys, play Isaiah Jackson and Goga and, uh, you know, make sure that Duarte gets those kind of opportunities to see, can he be a guy who can uh, do special things in special moments? And and there've been some really incredible moments for him. So this is, you know, Sykes and you know, all Washington, you play the, play the two way, you know what I mean? So uh, I don't think teams look at the Pacers as a desperate team. I think they look at uh, the Pacers as a team that's willing to make a change and um, as an opportunity for, for them to get better. Like if you can get Turner, Levert, uh, Sabonis or whatever out of the Pacers, and that can make your situation better. Um, you would do that if, if, if it wasn't too costly. So then it's just a question of, of finding situations. Like I, if you say like, what's a team that's desperate? Like, like I look at the jazz as more of a, in a desperate situation because there's been start, you know, rumblings that maybe if they don't get further than they've been, that maybe Mitchell's going to start to, feel unhappy and he's on, on a long-term contract, but at some point they have to worry like, okay, could we leave? If he could leave in 2025, we don't wait till 2024. At some point we have to make that decision. And all the rest of their players are, are in their thirties for the most part. They don't really have any draft capital, uh, a team like the Lakers. Uh, you've got all this pressure from LeBron and, and Anthony Davis and all that and their fan base to win, win, win. Uh, they just won a couple of years ago. They, they lost last year, arguably, at least from their point of view, because AD got hurt. And so this is supposed to be the year where they get back on track. They made this big move for Westbrook, made the, a very polarizing decision, and it's a very public failure if it doesn't work out. And so there's pressure on the Lakers. There's pressure on the Jazz. We can go team by team, and you'll find that there are, there's a lot more pressure on teams like that than there would be on a team like the Pacers, who at their pace can make a good move for their organization. And if they have to keep Turner beyond this year or Levert, they're still under contract. They could be dealt at the draft. I mean, it's an issue more with TJ Warren, uh, but he's been hurt. So there's not a lot of pressure there. Uh, I mean, Jeremy Lamb expires, but everyone else is pretty much under contract. So I think the Pacers are in a very strong negotiating position personally. Um, Others might disagree, but I don't think there's any reason to think this is a team that is desperate and has to make some big gigantic move for the sake of, of making change. I think they can make a more deliberate decision. Yeah, that'll be, uh, I'm, I'm sure fans won't want to hear that because I think fans are ready to see changes. But um, I, I have a really important question to ask you because obviously, usually around the trade deadline, there's always that one big domino that kind of has to fall before you start seeing a lot of other moves. Is there a, a player out there right now that is that big domino, whether they're moved or not? And how do you think that could impact this upcoming trade deadline next week? Hmm. I mean, there's one domino that's like the biggest domino of all that hasn't fallen, and that's the Ben Simmons domino. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think anyone that I speak to expects that domino to fall. So it kind of uh, is no longer like a domino, but just, I guess, like a, a fixed pillar that's just blocking a lot of things from happening. And, and I don't know what the Sixers ultimately do, um, but there's been... I wrote on this a bit in my article, Bleacher Report, some talk about potentially chasing James Harden and, and manipulating the market there so that uh, they can find a way to make that happen. Maybe going after a Dame or a Beal or uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, who isn't available right now and I don't think would be available. I don't think Dame becomes available, but that doesn't mean that the Sixers won't uh, at least explore if that's possible. Or uh, Jalen Brown. Right now, the Celtics have no interest, for, at least from what I've heard, in breaking up 
their duo of Tatum and 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 Brown, but maybe the the Sixers are are looking at what's there now and thinking it's not enough to not take a stab at what might be there later. And if it's not there later, it's not there later, then you make the best decision you can. Uh, beyond that, like the big names are obviously the ones on the Pacers. Uh, the big name would be Sabonis, and then the you know the more you know, Turner with the injury and and Karras. Uh, another big domino to look for is is Jeremy Grant uh, because uh, the Pistons aren't dead set on moving him, but he's somebody that uh, is definitely has been shopped. I don't know if he if he lands in a I don't know a Washington or a Sacramento. To me, Sacramento and Washington are the biggest buyers. Uh, I think Sacramento has to make some moves. I mean, obviously, no one has to make moves, but I think they're motivated to make moves. They've got a lot of issues to to resolve. And, and to me, they have to move out of Bagley because otherwise you just wasted that pick. So for me, do they have to? No, they could just accept the loss. But realistically, they need to get something back for Bagley because they, you know, oh, didn't get Luca or Trey Young for for making that pick. What a, you know, what a disaster. Um, I mean, the Hawks want to make some more changes. Um, looking around, there's a lot of teams that like Cleveland. Cleveland's a nice buyer. Uh, Dallas is interested in improving a little bit. Obviously, the Lakers would like to to bolster their their chances. I know the Clippers are just you know hungry for for improvement, but are going to be a little bit more deliberate, similar to the Pacers, where they don't have to make a move. That's always a good position to be in. Uh, the Rockets are open for business a little bit. Um, uh, the Pelicans are an interesting team because uh, I, I wrote about how there uh, there is some interest in CJ McCollum. In Portland, I think Portland is a seller as well. So there, I don't know necessarily if there's one domino that needs to fall, but I would say specifically, if Grant resolved, let's say uh, before the weekend, uh, that would at least open up some clarity for the other moves. Because if there's more than one team chasing Grant, they can move on to other things. But uh, just the nature of of the business, things tend to. Uh, you know, move at a snail's pace. There's some buzz that the Raptors are a buyer as well, uh, looking to maybe get a center or somebody, probably moving Goran Dragic and, and uh, Chris Boucher. If they could get a big move done, they would be open to that. So uh, it, a lot of buzz. Uh, like I said uh, earlier, there's been about four or five trades in the last however long, and none of them have been outrageous other than the, I mean, if you want to say the reddish one was a big one, uh, that's the biggest of them. I'm curious to see if we get some real fireworks before this thing is over. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot to unpack as the deadline approaches. So Eric, I thought you brought some great insight there as we wrap up, please tell everybody where they could find you on Twitter and some of the awesome work that you have coming up. Uh, well, of course I'm on Twitter at Eric Pincus, E-R-I-C-P-I-N-C-U-S. I, I write for Bleacher Report covering the NBA nationally and uh, I'm in LA. So a lot of my, Coverage is Lakers firsthand, uh, some Clippers as well. And then I uh, work for uh, Sports Business Classroom. We actually have a uh, webinar coming up on the 3rd of February. I'll be doing it with Ryan McDonough, former GM of the Phoenix Suns. And we're just going to talk about the trade deadline and look at it uh, from a front office executive perspective. Uh, our, our goal is there at, at Sports Business Classroom is really to, to teach people how to get into the industry and find jobs in the NBA world, uh, be it directly in the NBA or in the many businesses around it, like agencies and and all the many things that are, are out there. A lot of great opportunity, and, and it's a real joy to be a part of helping people get 
those opportunities. Super cool stuff. I definitely want to thank you for coming on and everybody make sure that you check out the awesome content that he has. Eric, we appreciate you. All right. Anytime. Thanks for having me on guys. All right, everybody. So similar to how we did last week when we had uh, Evan Damerell on, who covers the Cavs for Locked On Cavs and all those other great websites he's doing. We're going to bring on someone from the Hornets perspective to talk about a potential deal with the Charlotte Hornets. We know their name has been rumored around Miles Turner a lot, but there could be other deals or minor deals or whatever around them. So to join us from the Buzzbeat podcast, part of the Blue Wire podcast network, our good friend, Spencer Percy. Spencer, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me back, guys. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk about Miles Turner, which I feel like we have talked about <laughs> the last like three or four times. Every year on it this feels podcast. like it. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the Miles T- Turner uh, to Charlotte rumors have uh, really have some some life and now tread real serious tread on the tire. So we'll see where this one goes. But appreciate you having me back. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just get right into it. Obviously, we know this Miles Turner injury has put a little bit of a damper on his trade value approaching the deadline next week. So I guess from a Hornets perspective, I don't know if fans were even enamored with the idea of Miles Turner. I know some people are probably hot and cold on whether they'd like him, but you know, this is a good Hornets team. They desperately need a defensive center. I think Miles Turner really fits that bill, uh, especially since he does have the capability of stepping out and shooting the three. But um, how are fans feeling? How are you feeling about Turner now with this injury? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I think the rug was kind of pulled out from everyone's feet, uh, you know, when he had this lower extremity injury, uh, you know, as, a, as basically a seven-footer, and that's always a, a real point of concern regardless of the player that you're talking about. So I, I'm feeling uh, way less optimistic that a deal gets done, um, although I know, and everyone really should at this point because it's been public knowledge, like Charlotte has – they've had a crush on Turner for a while. You know, they, they I, I do think that they really think he would be a great fit here. Um, but, you know, if I'm not mistaken, we're at the one and a half years left on his contract. And although it is a good contract, you just don't know when he can play, right? And Charlotte is five games above 500. I mean, to say that they're going for it is probably strong this year, but they want to win a series, right? And so if they make a trade for a center – at the deadline, they're going to make a trade for a guy that's going to be able to come in immediately and play. So I, you know, I don't, I'm not real familiar, you know, with the, with the rules around, I mean, I know a player has to pass a physical before a trade is complete, but if you're Indiana, you got to do something at the deadline, I think. And Turner, certainly before the injury seemed like the player that was obviously going to be dealt. I would think that they're more than willing to get doctors in checking up on this guy every day and, and sharing as much information as possible, right? Like, because I, I just, the, the only way they get a deal done at the deadline is by sharing the good news, if there is good news. Other than that, I just don't see a deal for Turner now. Yeah, look, Spencer, I completely agree with you. Alex and I both believe that the Pacers will come out with another positive medical report regarding Turner before the deadline to try and, you know, encourage some teams to know, hey, look, this guy's going to be fine. You know, maybe he misses a, a little bit of time after the deadline, but nothing too substantial. Now, we heard for a while that Charlotte loves Turner, but I'm curious from the fan base standpoint, is that feeling mutual or is it more of a front office really feels like Miles Turner would be the ideal fit there? Yeah, so from a fan base perspective, I think it's pretty split, honestly. I I have never been a huge Turner guy, um, but – one of the things that is really intriguing, even for me, um, 
with his fit in Charlotte is his ability to protect the rim. I mean, he comes out again this year and he's like, look, I'm, I'm like, if not the best rim protector in the league, I'm one of the best three right centers of the league. So in Charlotte, it means the, it's the weakest part of their roster and has been for numerous years. So regardless of if he comes in here and shoots 25% on pick and pop threes or 45% on pick and pop threes, it's what he gives us on the other end of the floor that makes it really intriguing, which is really since the beginning of the season and seeing how Turner played prior to injury, I was like, man, I would, I'd part ways with PJ Washington uh, and book night, probably not need draft capital like PJ Washington book night. That'd probably be my deal. You can scratch out maybe one more player, but I would do that deal in a heartbeat if I were Charlotte. I just think that like with where they are now with what their biggest need is, he's probably, he's probably worth a few wins in the postseason, And that really matters to the Hornets. Yeah, and so, I mean, obviously the Pacers were supposed to actually come out today with uh, with an update on Turner after a reevaluation, but they actually put one out last Thursday. So they were five days ahead saying that it was a good scan. So I'm not sure how severe this injury is, but based on what we've seen from uh, in street clothes, Jeff Stotts, I believe it's his name, is the, uh, the, the medical expert there. And we had Will Carroll on our show, uh, the injury expert. He They basically said it's a four to six week process, which – would pretty much put Turner out past the all-star break, but then come back from the all-star break, he should be good to go. But like you said, you don't like the thought of an, uh, of a big man having this type of uh, injury. So with that being said, you know, obviously the Pacers have been asking for two first round picks from Miles Turner, which seems a little bit, uh, you know, like you're, like you're setting your uh, price up high for, for a guy like Turner, especially with so many people knowing the Pacers are shopping him. Uh, but you said you'd be willing to give up book night, in PJ Washington, I think salary-wise, you would probably have to throw in at least Ish Smith, maybe maybe Plumley in there. But how important is it to keep another center on the roster if you do trade for Turner, knowing that he might be out for a week or two before the All Star break after the trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, it's you're right. From a matching salary perspective, you do have to throw something else in there and that, that something might be plumly. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think at that point, you know, the Hornets can sign somebody you know, off the, off the scrap heap at the minimum or, or hope that they can get into the buyout conversation. Um, but I think that if you can, if you're confident, he's only going to miss a few games, right? Like a week or whatever. Um, I'd go ahead and do that deal and say, we'll, we'll take one or, you know, we can go one and one, you know, one and two in these two or three games he's going to miss. Like we'll survive. Um, but I here, here's the holdup in this deal is that Charlotte and maybe maybe this plays into Charlotte's advantage now that he has an injury concern is they're not going to give up <clears throat> draft capital, uh, not significant draft capital that is. So first round draft picks, they're, it's just not going to happen. So on one hand, like I said, like before the injury is just why I didn't see a Miles Turner deal with Charlotte. Now if the injury is there, maybe it actually makes it more realistic if Indiana gets down to the gets down to the wire on Thursday and they're like, look, we just want to make a deal now. We don't want to wait to the offseason. That might bring Charlotte right back to the table in a last second deal. So you know two players that you mentioned, James Booknight, PJ Washington Jr. Those are two players that I feel like a lot of the fan base would be happy receiving. Now, I've always loved P.J. Washington's game. It's no secret that Alex loves it, too. Uh, but James Booknight, I was a big Booknight guy going into the draft. I kind of not soured, but I kind of backed off a little bit as the draft got closer. And it appears I wasn't alone because 
Book Knight did slide a bit down to the Hornets where it looked like he could have gone, you know, top 10, top eight. Um, tell me, what are we missing here in terms of James Book Knight and his development? Where is he maybe not as far as you hoped? Well, I mean, he just – he hasn't played. Um, I, I don't – he's been pretty good in Greensboro, um, the Charlotte's G League affiliate, and he's gotten a lot of minutes there. So, it, no, he hasn't gotten enough NBA action, but I think there is – like fans can still go watch Swarm highlights and see Book Night film, and I think he's been fine down there. He's, good. he's been a dynamic scorer. Um, he is a really, really good slasher. I mean, he's got a great first step. He's very athletic. He's a good rebounding guard. I mean, he there's a lot of things to like about him, but I think why the league <clears throat> has mostly probably soured on him is just because we haven't seen him in the in the NBA, right? Playing for Charlotte, um, he's gotten some run the last few games because of the Hayward. Uh, COVID situation and Ubre being out. So, so we have seen Book Knight the last two or three games. Um, I, you know, for, for the role that he's going to play in the league, I think it really comes down to how, how good of a shooter can he become. He wasn't a great shooter at UConn, although you watched him play and you're like, why did this guy shoot 28% or whatever it was um, in, his, in his last season at UConn? Because the mechanics, like – it looks pretty good. So, like, why why was this guy not efficient? And he hasn't really been efficient in the league either or in Greensboro. So, he is <clears throat> he is a, a second banana kind of offensive player, I would say. But his strength comes in cutting, catching, and driving on closeouts. Um, and, and the part of his game that's still coming around is, you know, can this guy play with the ball in his hands in pick-and-roll situations, make plays for his teammates, be an above-average passer? And, again, can he shoot? And that that's the, that's the big question. But – I still think, like, if you're Indiana or any team and you're parting ways with an injured player with a year and a half left on his contract and you're getting a prospect like Book Knight in along with a stretch center, it's a pretty good deal. And I know it's not the deal that Pacers fans hope for. For Turner, you know, it, it maybe midway, you know, the half point between the beginning of the season and the deadline, but I think that's probably what Indiana is looking at right now as, as a rea- realistic trade. No, and I think it makes I think it makes some sense. I think there there are some fans that would be really in, intrigued by that. Now I know there are fans that don't love PJ Washington, and you said Charlotte fans have kind of soured on him a little bit. But I got to ask, you know, we we talked about this off air, and I know Eric Pincus was on in the previous segment. He brought up the idea of Gordon Hayward coming back to Indiana in a potential trade, um, and it was mentioned that Miles Turner would be kind of like the, the key piece coming back and. Maybe you throw Jeremy Lamb in there, but how uh, how big of a how big of a deal would this have to be if Gordon Hayward were involved in coming back to Indiana? If it meant no Sabonis was uh, returning back to Charlotte, yeah, that's when the trade really gets interesting to me. I, I see the framework like Gordon Hayward, Miles Turner is the headliners. Like, okay, like we can start the conversation there. That makes sense to me because I think Indiana would love to have Hayward back for reasons that are probably obvious to that fan base at this point. Um, but it, but it's the rest of the salary. Like, <clears throat> so in, in ways, obviously, Indiana is relieving Charlotte of some salary two years down the road. Um, so what else do they want? And again, they're they're probably not getting draft capital. So is it Ubre, uh, who has a partial guaranteed next year? Is it Mason Plumley, who has partial guaranteed next year? You can basically turn him into an expiring contract. Expiring contract if you want. Uh, and you throw book night like at that point it just becomes 
to me, the negotiation, well, what else is Indiana going to ask for? Because I do think there would be some real interest. As good as Hayward has been in Charlotte, he really has been. Um, and he's, he's a chess piece for them, too, because you know, they want to play fast. When they can't play fast, Gordon Hayward's like the one matchup beater. You know, he's, he's the matchup hunter, rather, that Charlotte has on the roster that they can slow down their offense and still be somewhat effective. But they're giving Charlotte salary relief down the road. So what else are they asking for in that deal? To me is where that, that construct becomes interesting and probably falls apart. It'll be very interesting. But that also brings me over to a player who is having quite the year, Miles Bridges, entering free agency. I, I just put the pieces together. The last time that you were on the show was just after the Hornets failed to come to an agreement with Bridges for a new deal. Um, do you think maybe potentially they might be more likely to, I know you're talking about Hayward, but of moving Hayward to be able to pay bridges or how are they going to handle that situation once free agency comes? Yeah, they don't have to, but I I think it's certainly (laughs) more of an interest to them now, right? Like that was the whole risk about them not extending bridges, um, when when they could have, uh, which I understood the decision, you know, bridges had been rather inconsistent so far in the league, but he, he finished last season so strongly, you could kind of see this coming, which made it such a big risk. And, and now here we are. And he's, look, I mean, Detroit's going to, they're going to max him. I, you know, whatever he's worth, they're going to give it, they're going to give it to him in an offer sheet now. So Charles really going to have to fight hard. Um, so yeah, obviously that makes it more of an incentive to try to move Hayward, but at what cost? And, and that's, that's where I really like Mitch Kupchak as a GM for this team. Um, if, if they have to absolutely walk away from Miles Bridges, I think they will before they part ways with future draft capital to get off a guy like Gordon Hayward. Um, if you're willing to take Hayward and Book Knight in Washington, a package like that, now we're talking. But if it's, if it's future first-round picks, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, looking at some framework here, I don't know how the Pacers would feel about doing this deal. Um, but just just looking at it, we'll we'll start here with a basic one. I'll, I'll throw this out at you. What if we? What if the Pacers sent Miles Turner, Justin Holiday, and Jeremy Lamb for Gordon Hayward and PJ Washington? Uh, it works salary wise. Do you think that um, the Hornets would be interested in that? So Lamb, Holiday, and, and, Turner. and Turner for Hayward and Washington. Uh-huh. And Lamb, what, what is the – how many years is Lamb? In, He's in, an ex- uh, expiring Holiday. expiring for Lamb with 10.5, and then Holiday is six uh, $6 million uh, for this year, and I think a little bit more for the next year. Yeah, that, that makes some sense to me, I think. Um I just don't know if if Charlotte feels like they're making up enough of what they're losing. Again, the half-court presence that Hayward provides them. I I mean, Jeremy Lamb's not doing that for me, although a big big Jay Lamb guy. Loved loved it. (laughs) I mean, he's he's lost a lot of steam since those days, but always a Jay Lamb guy. And then Justin Holliday, he's a movement shooter, you know? So it's like, how is Charlotte? I, I think that's where the rub would be. Like, yeah, okay, but we need a guy who can come in here and fill our half court void, you know, like somebody we can throw the the ball to at the nail or in the mid post and he can go get a bucket. And I, I just think at this point in time, Charlotte would still be more willing to go into restricted free agency with miles bridges and see what happened and just keep Gordon Hayward 
on the roster and say, let's see if we can win a series with this group and then we'll just figure out our problems later, you mm-hmm. know, in free agency. I just don't think it's enough, especially with the Miles Turner injury stuff. Like that's – if he was healthy, if he was humming right along, I, I would probably do that deal pretty quickly. But because that's such a looming question mark, I just – I don't know how you confidently make that trade. Yeah, so the other one I was going to throw at you here, this is a little bit bigger. Um, it, it's involving Karis LeVert and Miles Turner going to the Hornets, and I threw in Guga Batadze because I think with the, the elevation of Isaiah Jackson's play um, and then getting P.J. Washington, the Pacers probably don't have a need for another center that's not going to play much. And I think the Hornets could, you know, use some more center depth as they try to develop Kai Jones. But, you know, Goga's got one year left uh, on his deal after this year. Same for Karis and Miles. So all those guys would be expiring the next year. But the, the Pacers would get back Booknight, Washington, and Hayward for Batadze, Levert, and Turner with no picks involved. All right, I'm processing on the fly here. I, I know this is terrible radio, but read that to me again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. So based off of uh, fanspo.com, which is tradenba.com, uh, Turner, Levert, and Batadze go to the Hornets. That would give them plus four in wins, plus 2.6 for an offense, and plus 3.77 in defense. The Pacers would get back Book Knight, P.J. Washington, and Gordon Hayward. That I, I like that deal better than the first. Okay. Um, I don't. So Levert has what his contract runs one year through left. What, one yeah, year the, okay. after this nineteen million dollars moving yeah. forward. All these, all these guys that you're getting, Turner, Levert, and Batadze, they have two years left, but that's not including this year. So the rest of this season and then the next year, they'd all be expiring. Yeah. So you're really okay. So it gives you the opportunity to reset or at least get back into the cap space conversation potentially. Uh, I like that deal better. Uh, okay. You know, I, I, I think I would have because Levert is more of that model that I was just talking about. Like at least he's not Gordon Hayward. He's not gonna get a mismatch and just bully somebody and put him in the basket. But he is more the guy that can go get you a bucket. So at least he fills some of that void. Um, hmm. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know that I'd say yes to it. It's, can I sleep on it? I know you guys won't have me back tomorrow, but <laughs> you have until February that? 10th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely like that one more than the first. I would say that I'd have to at least call you back tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely like the trade for for both sides. Uh, for the Pacers, I, I like it a lot because I feel like it, there's certain guys we need to move on from. We want to bring in young talent, and I feel like we're accomplishing bringing in the young talent while also bringing in a player who, A, wants to be here in Hayward, but also can help us win now. But first, I also love your description on Levert being a bucket or bucket getter. I think that's the common you know description for his game, so spot on. But my last question, I would just say it became recently known that the Hornets – absolutely did not forget that the beating that our Pacers handed them in the play-in game last year. They used it as motivation. They had it in the locker room. We saw, (laughs) I did not know that was a thing, but you know what? It's led to a sweep so far this year. What were your thoughts on hearing that the Hornets used that as motivation? Yeah. Well, I didn't know that either. Uh, So that was news to me. I think all Hornets fans, I I love it. You know, it's a young, I love it too. Yeah, it's a young team. I, I've been hammering all year that they need to they need to have a little bit more chip on the shoulder. Um, you know, I, I think Lamelo's great. Miles Bridges is great. Bringing Kelly Oubre in has been, has been a win. But this team is more – they're a little bit more flash than they are, like get their hands dirty. Um, and I think we've seen that in some losses this year. And we've seen them kind of fold in the face of adversity. 
Um, so the fact that that came out and that they have something that they really didn't like and they use that as motivation was quite frankly something I didn't expect and, and something that I was impressed with. So, but I, I think that that's like a microcosm example to a, to a macro level problem for this right now. Again, they're young, a macro level problem, which is chip on the shoulder, you know, will if they get pulled underwater and somebody makes you know like the clippers did on sunday and ask them to get into a boxing match you know can they play that kind of game and they haven't proved that yet yeah so my last question here for you spencer before i let you you know let us know where we can find you on social media and give you the rundown here of uh where people can find your podcast i want to know obviously there's been a lot of talk about turner with the hornets but are there any other big men out there that could potentially be had that you would prefer Charlotte to maybe go out and get over Miles Turner knowing he's got this injury right now? I mean, there's there's quite, to be honest with you, there's a, there's a lot out there on the market and available, I think, right now. I think Yusuf Nurkic in Portland is probably where a lot of Hornets fans um, are focused right now. He's an expiring contract. Uh, I think he's easily movable. You can match him with Plumlee's salary and then toss in something else. I think – you know, Portland got hot there for a minute, and now they're cooling back off. So I, I think that's something to monitor going up to the deadline. I, Mitchell Robinson out of New York, I think, is a name to watch. Um, Jackson Hayes was brought up in a Charlotte Observer article today, which I haven't really thought about him, but it's a good, like, buy super low kind of player that I think they could look at. Uh, Daniel Tice out of Houston. Yeah. Which, like, what I, I just – I think – I think he would be the most obvious guy to move on the entire trade market if Houston hadn't signed him to a four-year deal, which I still don't understand. Like, why is anyone taking on that money now? Mm-hmm. Those are a few of the names that you've seen. Um, I, I wonder, like, I wonder about New Orleans and Jonas Valanciunas. And I, yeah. His name hadn't really been floated a lot, but just where they are right now, I, I just wonder. I would at least make a call. Um, I don't know. This is just – the some of the names that have been kind of circulating through my mind. Yeah, I de- go ahead, Flash. Now, I was just going to say, it's going to be a fun time. The rumors are going to be swirling, so we never know what's going to happen, but I'm ready for these dominoes to start falling a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And I was going to say this, too. I, I'm curious because we've heard a lot of rumors out there that the Portland Trailblazers have interest in Miles Turner. And if Damian Lillard's out, they're looking to maybe trade McCollum. They might be a team that's willing to uh to maybe take on Turner's contract as and allow him to get healthy again as they uh, kind of retool this year and look to rebuild around Dame and get a little bit of a different roster so if Nurkic to Charlotte something of interest then maybe we could see a three-team trade here I don't know if you're in for that Spencer but I think that could possibly be something interesting no doubt I mean the three-team stuff usually starts to break my brain pretty quickly but um (laughs) But, uh, but, yes, if there's a way to send Turner to, to Portland and, and Yusuf to Charlotte and whatever else needs to happen, yeah, yeah, call me. DJ Washington, let's get him. <laughs> <laughs> I need him in my life. I do. And then I, then I can sour on him whenever I get disappointed with him here. But, um, Spencer, anyway, uh, enough of that. I want to thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you at on social media? And what do you guys have coming out podcast-wise and uh, anything else you'd like to promote here as we wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, check out at BuzzBeatPod on Twitter. Uh, Richie Randall, Brian Geisinger, Lee Branscombe, I mean, those guys. I'm just like the fourth wheel. I don't really offer that much. But, 
they're they're uh they're nice enough to have me along so that's who uh i would go follow if you want charlotte hornets coverage um and then you can follow me if you want on twitter at qch spencer qch stands for queen city hoops which used to be a shot or really a Charlotte bobcats blog for a short time a charlotte hornets blog I, I probably need to change my Twitter handle at this point because QCH is no longer active. But, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me if you want to follow. And Spencer, I was about to say, you've been saying that for years about changing that Twitter handle. So just embrace <laughs> it. You know, I don't know if you're ever going to change it or not. But regardless, not. we appreciate you. Keep up the awesome work. And everybody, make sure you check out their awesome podcast. All right, everybody, that was great stuff there. Great NBA inside information there from Eric Pincus and just his thoughts on the trade deadline. And then, of course, talking about a Miles Turner trade with Spencer Percy here on Setting the Pace is something we've done far too often. But, Fachi, uh, you know, how do we usually close this show out? Anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? I would just say, man, we are under 10 days from the NBA trade deadline. Anything can happen. You can't rule it out. Rumors are going to be swirling. Don't believe everything that you hear. But at the same point, let's all just be a little hopeful that change could be on the way. Yeah, and so I think on Thursday we had talked about doing some minor trades on our on our trade ideas here on the podcast involving some of the guys we talked about, Eric Pincus, more like Justin Holiday, Tory Craig, Jeremy Lamb, maybe TJ McConnell. We'll see if there's anything out there for him right now. But more of the minor guys, none of the starters are the projected starters. So uh, look forward to doing that with Fachi. But uh, yeah, Fachi, we're going to find us at on social media. All right, so you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. You can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. And if you're hoping those ping pong balls fall in the right place for the Pacers to get themselves a better point guard and a better upgrade, maybe with Jaden Ivey, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Peace out, Pacer Nation. Fachi loves the Wizards. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.